So there's a interesting correlation between running a business and coaching a team that I thought would be interesting to explore today. You know, coaches look to create a culture, get a buy-in from their players, and then execute their plan. Sounds simple, right? But why are so many teams successful and others not? Same with businesses. As business owners, we're looking to create a culture, get a buy-in from our team, and execute, execute our strategic plan. So why are certain businesses more successful than others? I'm Keith D., president of Osage Advisors. Uh, welcome back to our podcast, The Ins and Outs of Selling a Business. So to help us break this down, break this down today, I'm really happy to have with us Brent Robinson. Brent is a founder uh, of Fathom. Fathom provides not only executive coaching, but they do a much deeper dive into the fabric of a business and their employees. So Brent, right? You got two equal things here, kind of, in, you know, plans are, sound similar, but the execution piece sometimes doesn't end up being successful. Mm. And that's where you kind of come in. So maybe you can share with the audience a little bit about your background and let's kind of delve into this question of how you approach it to help maybe some underperforming businesses uh, and their teams, you know, rise to the occasion so they can, you know, create value. At the end of the day, as we're trying to do create value. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, just to set some context, uh, my involvement with uh, with leadership of organizations tends to involve those that are really interested in getting the most out of their leadership mm -hmm. and their leadership team. Um, those that are looking to get the most uh, impact from their vision or strategic plan, right? They actually wanted to translate into the outcomes that they're hoping for. Um, and, uh, and those that really want to get the most out of their experience, of you know what it's like to be in the front lines of actually leading a human system in an organization. So, um, what I find interesting is we spend a lot of time, and there's a lot of vocabulary that speaks to the things that we aspire to as it relates to the characteristics of a successful team. So we use words like alignment, we use words like agreement, we use you know all mm -hmm. of these things that we want to see be true. Um, but what doesn't get served is well alignment is a consequence of something. <laughs> right. right. And so what is the work of actually coming to, um, again, I'll use the word alignment. Alignment is a condition in which you achieve through a dedicated effort. And so we'll say we want alignment, but we don't spend a lot of time really understanding, well, how do we actually accomplish it? What's its purpose? And how do we use alignment in a way that moves our organization forward? And so I see uh, for a lot of organizations focused on objectives, they want sort of levels of performance. And sometimes they'll have a team that's successful and sometimes they won't. And it seems like sort of happenstance that that occurs, that there, whether it was chemistry or wasn't chemistry, I would argue actually to be very consistent in creating high performance teams takes a real care and feeding for creating conditions for that team to be successful. And in our pursuit of agendas and objectives, we tend not to spend the time on creating conditions that favor the team to be successful in the first place. And so they fail or they don't, we're not sure why. And when they, let's say, when they succeed, we tend to try to replicate that somehow and it never works because it's different circumstances, different people. We miss the core point of like, what does it take to actually create and cultivate a team that can be consistently high performing? 
uh, no matter what the circumstances are or how things change, and even as players on that team come on, off the, come on and off the field to play. Yeah, that, that's a great point because, you know, when we're working with business owners, you know, we're getting ready to sell. We always talk about, you know, uh, your team and what level of responsibilities they have. Um, you know, are you the person that, you know, feeds the sales channel? Or have you created a structure, an organization that, you know, is tasked to do that? Uh, we don't necessarily get into detail how, you know, um, about how those people feel, mm. right? And what is happening is, as you get further down the process of selling your business, you need to bring people into the fold. And when they come into the fold, all of a sudden it's like, ah, what's going on here? And what does it mean for me? Right? Where they haven't been part of a, an organization. So it raises questions in their mind. Is this the right deal for me? Do I want to stay on here? Um, you know, you can go, you can just keep on checking off the list, listing them out. <clears throat> and sometimes it causes friction mm. that was never there before because people just come in, do their jobs, and leave, whether they're happy or not. You think they're happy, but they're not going to say they're unhappy or maybe not speak up to you because they're the fear factor. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. I mean, how, you know, that kind of stuff is, is, is really critical. And it, what you find in the buyer pool today, it's very sophisticated. They, they look at that kind of thing. Not initially, right? We've got numbers, right? Here's the numbers. Here's the, here's the multiple. Here's the price. But when they take a deep dive into your leadership team during due diligence, things come up that could, you know, um, have consequences yeah. maybe with the deal itself. So you know, how, how do you, when you get, when you get, you know, uh, owner, and it's not, by the way, it's not just the people within your business. It's the people outside your business, right? Because you're, we deal with family, close companies. It's, you know, it's the family members, uh, whether they're in the business or not, have kind of got your ear and they're want to know what's going on. Yeah. So you got a lot of stuff coming at you as a business owner. And so when you go into a situation, which is, you know, typically way before they're hopefully way before they're ready to sell, you know, how do you start addressing some of these you know, deeper, deeper context issues to, you know, alignment? Yes. But what does that all mean? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a, a, a way that I often think about it and, and work with my clients um, is the metaphor of the water we're swimming in. What's the condition of the water that we're swimming in? Mm. Do we even notice the water that we're in? Um, and, and often that isn't the case. Like, it's like, if I step back and I look at the health and condition of the water, um, what do I notice about it? What I find is critical for an organization to be able to achieve its highest valuation is the ability for the, the, that the conditions that allow for teams to perform at their best are well known and they're lovingly cared for. Hmm. Well known, lovingly cared for. When I say well known, they're well known and explicitly languaged. Like here are the tenets that we know if those conditions are available to us, we can be at our best. Um, and they're cared for from the standpoint is there's dedicated time that that leadership team is spending on a conversation that is only about what's the health and condition of our relationship with each other. Can we get it to a place where it's more effective? 
deeper, get out of our own way. Those conversations aren't happening enough. We just rush to the to-do list and the agendas. We yeah. don't take the time to just check in on, okay, well, what's our condition? If we look at it from a mathematical perspective, it's very clear. Um, you know, let's just say, you know, every person in your organization is a numeral, right? And say zero to five, zero being um, the worst possible condition, like there's nothing of me available, to five being there's there couldn't be more of me available. I'm fully expressed in the organization. If we look at it mathematically, if our condition has to be that we're operating at, you know, ones and twos, then the numerator in the math, you know, reflects that, right? right exactly. If we take a moment to simply um, elevate our condition, then we may move to a four or five. That math works much better. And if we think about leadership teams as the most influential people inside of an organization, if we're operating at a compromised condition, well, so is the quality of any effort we put forward. If we elevate our condition, then anything we touch is going to have greater effect. So, you know, and I'll put it to you this way, and, and, and I share this a lot as a, as a way to sort of provoke this. Like, what would you say about a coach that would field a team of players on any professional field of play, fundamentally unaware of the condition of that team. Like, what would you say about that coach? He's failing, right? He's not. They're not going to. They're going to be at that low rung uh, year after year after year, and the fans are going to question why are we like this? Yeah, right. What's happening behind that locker room door that is affecting? We have good, strong players. We have the top talent that came out of college from Georgia, Alabama, LSU, you name it, right? And and then we got to this level and and we're still, year after year, getting the top draft pick, the top every year, and we're still down here. That's right. What is going on? Yeah. So what would you say about a leader who would field a team in the theater of surgery, unaware of the condition of that team? That would be a high-risk uh, endeavor that uh, I would not want to be a patient. Right. So if we all consider ourselves professionals, how much of our average agenda or our average meeting is specifically dedicated to assessing and elevating the condition of the team? So my experience in, in, in working with hundreds of leaders all over the world is almost none. Yeah, I would say almost yeah, none. I mean like I before I you know founded Osage I I actually ran a couple you know manufacturing companies uh, as uh, president CEO and you know it was like we've had month we've had month we've had a, a, a monthly a daily meeting uh, I called them coffees hallway coffees and I I meet with the production manager I meet with the sales I meet with the financial people in the hallway for 15 so what's going on what's the day look like are we are we on track to get the shipments out and then we'd have a more intense one our meeting at the end of the week with the sales team, with the manufacturing team, with the financial team. But we talk about execution of, do we deliver our products today? What's our backlog? We never really, I mean, honestly, we never really talked about some of the things you're talking about. How are you feeling? Right. How are your team? How feeling? are we? Right. What, what's going on behind us? And maybe, maybe a key factor would trigger that question to take a deeper dive would be, you know, how come so-and-so and so-and-so quit? And we replaced them and then they quit again. What What is going on? Yeah, what are, what are we not... What are we missing? What are we not taking responsibility for right. that's a condition it's, that's causing people to not want to stay? Right. And and we could easily, you know, I see this a lot where, where leaders will deflect that, well, it must be a character flaw of those people. It couldn't be us. It's like, no, what's the condition of this place where we're inviting people to come spend time. What's the experience they're having of this organization? You know, when it comes down to it is um, leadership 
a, 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 a um, clearly understood uh, awareness of the conditions that favor success. I call it resilient performance, where leadership teams are able to be incredibly resilient, deal with all kinds of adversity and change, um, and not just settle back to normal performance when those things happen, but to actually have those things become a catalyst of increased performance. Even as members of that team change, even as the conditions change, maybe even ownership changes, those are the organizations that are not only wildly successful in their form of existence, whoever owns them, but even through a major transition, I do a ton of work in succession, right? Right. They're able to be um, achieving higher levels of performance through things which would typically, like like a sale or succession, those things would typically challenge an organization's performance and often we'll see a downward blip in performance when those things happen. Instead, it actually flips the other way to say that any kind of transition, especially at the scale of ownership or leadership, is simply a catalyst. And if we look at it as a catalyst, how do we take advantage of it as an opportunity to grow? The organizations that care deeply for the conditions that favor the performance of their team simply do better. And they do better no matter what those challenges are. And right. as ch- things change in the marketplace, the dynamics of their business or different leaders coming in, because they're the ones that are preserving and lovingly caring for the conditions that allow their teams to thrive. And it's the biggest difference, and you probably see this all the time, I'd be curious about it, is you know, there's sort of two extremes of sort of a, a, a leadership uh, modality inside of an organization. One is cult of personality, <laughs> where the leadership is built around a person or a right. person or two, and it and their personality is driving the performance of the organization. That's pretty fragile, because the minute that personality is not part of the system, it doesn't know how to operate in the absence of that personality. The other is a principle-driven leadership team, which is driven by principles in which the entire leadership team aspires to live up to. Those are very transferable. Those are the ones where that um, consistency in practice and caring for those ideas uh, can maintain itself even under change. So if I were a buyer, which one would I want to be more interested in? Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's you know it's interesting because we deal a lot with family businesses, and I was I was triggering a thought process when you were going through this about you know, you know the company to a lot of employees is their family, right? I mean, they have their family, but if they come here, some of these people have been here for 30 years, 40 years, whatever they've been there. So-and-so just retired for 50 years of service. We read something in an article in the paper the other day, but you know, those problems come with them to the business outside of business, but they come to them, right? Maybe not them, but my son just got picked up for DUI. I got to go bail him out. And, you know, year after year, that culture, that, you know, statesman, that father figure or mother figure, they come to them and say, look, I got to, and they they help him up. That's that's it. So if you kind of take that person out, like you're saying, all of a sudden you kind of orphan these people. Yeah. And what's going to happen? The rudderless, what's going to happen? So under that culture, like you're saying, buyers look at it, without you, we got nothing. You you got to be committed to staying here, and you know it's a it's a reality check for a business owner realizing that I built this thing and I can't exactly exit the way I want to because without me I don't have a buyer, mm. so I got to commit. Now, if you're 55 or 60 years old or even 65, that's one thing, but if you're 70, it becomes a whole different ball game. So you know to your point. You know, things will trigger that, kind of trigger that, you know, how people react to to certain situations in a business. I'll give you, you know, so for, so we, we always go back to the COVID, right? Now, 
when we were selling companies after COVID, a number of our clients pivoted mm. because of the market, because of the virus, because of a million things. And their employees rallied around them together. And they're actually more successful or as successful they were pre-COVID and opened their eyes and everybody's a buy-in. So it became, re everybody really focused on it. And we, we, you know, we pitched that and talked about it and marketed that to potential buyers. Hey, look, these guys went from this worst situation you could possibly imagine. Who the heck knew we were going to have the worst pandemic in over a hundred years. And they came out of it stronger. That should go to the strength of the management team, which has always looked at the buyer. And we had other buyers to this day, by the way, have not recovered. Yep. We saw through that, um, it was an extraordinary time, of course, because it was a sort of a once in a, hopefully once in a lifetime experience where we're all in this shared uh, crisis. I saw sort of three extreme behaviors of the leadership and a clear um, reflection of the performance of those organizations. So we'll say the neutral was, we'll wait this out. That was one position. Right. Right. We'll just, just oh, yeah. stay status quo as long as we can. Wait this out. That was one position. Um, the unhealthy response was receding into unhealthy behavior control and constraint. And those organizations significantly receded in their performance, if not into oblivion. And then there was those that said, okay, what does this unique experience allow for that we could take advantage of? Because the crisis simply in one way, allowed organizations to challenge their own status quo, right? And whenever we challenge our status quo, it simply puts cracks in the calcified way in which we're familiar operating, and it lets the light in. Mm -hmm. And so for the leaders that were willing to look at where's the light coming in these cracks and what is it exposing and are we okay with that, a lot of those organizations realize, wow, there is a, um, a unique opportunity to invest in innovation now so that when we come out of the other end of this thing, we're going to be in a different position. In others, it was a chance to say, hey, you know what? Our status quo may be not all that okay for everybody. What if we change some things around our culture to make it healthier? Those organizations thrived multiples of performance, the ones that seized the opportunity to take that that change, that crisis, and use it as an opportunity to change some things. Those that stood still, they slid backwards. And of course, those that went into unhealthy behavior of, of trying to control the situation or going back into, you know, sort of like more antiquated ways of leading and managing, they really suffered. Um, so it was really interesting how those things like played out. And, you know, we, of course, the work that we do helps organizations become much more open to and changeable in adverse situations of adversity and change. And um, it's incredible where we had we had one client go from uh, two companies to a 10 company enterprise wow. in that time period. We had another organization, 100 plus year old organization, um, invent a brand new service offering, which is now becoming their main revenue generator in that time. Just changed the game dramatically for, for both of these organizations because they just ran toward it. Right. And then. So after COVID, so, so like, we'll, we'll give an example, uh, Hanson. Hand sanitizer, right? Uh, wipes, boom. Every, you know this and stuff. We had, we had companies that um, that pivoted right away. Right? We had a client that made safety signs, right? He was the he as soon as he thought he was going out of business, he was done. But he says, "Okay, what am I going to do?" So he was the first guy to the market with all these COVID signs. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Six feet back. Stop, 
right? You name it. And he had a huge bump in revenues that year because he was the first to market. He beat his competition. He invested in it. He took that. He rolled the dice. I'm doing this. We're going for it. Everybody buy in. Let's go. Right. So what ends up happening a year later, we're selling the company and people said, you know, buyers ask questions about everything. He says, what about your COVID bump? I said, is that sustainable? It's right. You do something great. Yeah. Excuse me. You do something great for your team. And then the buyer comes in and is like, was that sustainable? Yeah. Right. And the answer was we acquired something. I remember it was we out of all the 75% of the new customers we acquired are still with us today, buying our old products that yeah. we, cause now this thing is off. Cause the, we had 5 million or I don't know what the number was. You know, we had X amount of this and now it's down to like this, but those customers didn't go away. So it was incredible. Yeah. So, so Brent, look, this is, this is like a conversation we gotta, we gotta continue on. So, uh, I'd like to have you back. I mean, you know, for our next episode, let's, let's talk about the culture. Let's talk about some examples. And if that works for you, we'll have you back on the next episode. That would be terrific. Yeah. I feel like we just scratched the surface of some big stuff today. Yeah. Let's you got my going. mind thinking here. So, uh, anyways, great topic, great conversation, business culture. Uh, again, my name's Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. Uh, we're a boutique M&A firm working with business owners and their families looking to sell. Typically, our clients are $5 million in revenue and up. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our podcast today, the ins and outs of selling your business. If, if you do, please feel free to subscribe to it. Uh, you can reach us at our website, osageadvisors.com. You can email me at kdee at osageadvisors.com or feel free to pick up the phone and give me a call at 860-767-3273, extension 1001. Thanks for being with us and have a great day. Yeah.